0: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit Heavenly King, Consoler, Paraclete You who are everywhere present and fill all things Treasury of all that is good and master of life Come, dwell within us, cleanse us from all stain And save our souls, O Good One Mary, cause of our joy, pray for us Father, and of the Son Amen. Today, we're going to look at John 12, which is the last chapter in the book of uh, Signs. Chapter 13 begins the book of Glory. It's not that the word glory doesn't come in this section, it does. But the glorification of Jesus is his death and resurrection. And it's by that that he glorifies the Father and the Father glorifies him, as we're going to see in the text. Now, John here has, is still narrating, but he's also reflecting, trying to give us a vision. The next thing we'll do after we finish chapter 12, we'll, go, we'll take a session to go back over these 12 chapters just to get it located in our minds What John has taught us so far with the Word of God. And then uh, we'll move on to the Book of Glory. All right. So this text has five parts to it, five different segments, which also is not normal for John to be so uh, broken up like this. The very first one is the anointing. Uh, Matthew. Mark and John all record an anointing at the beginning of the Passion narrative. John's is a little bit earlier here. Mark 13, which begins the Passion there, and so forth. And uh, Matthew 26. After the betrayal of Judas comes this anointing. uh, And they're purposely uh, contrasted. In John, we have this anointing. Uh, we're going to look at it. That's followed by the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem, which is fraught with significance that John brings out as he narrates this, you see. And then a very, a turning point in the gospel. The Greeks want to see Jesus. When Jesus hears that the Greeks want to see him, he says, now the hour has come. That the world now, the outside Judaism world, wants to see him, know him. That's the sign for Jesus, that the hour has come. Then, uh, John, with the words of Jesus, but with his own, gives an evaluation of Jesus's um, ministry, uh, and then finally, in the fifth part, uh, there's a summary, and this whole thing, significantly enough, ends with these words. You see, um, so then, what I speak, as the Father told me, that I speak. In other words, the last line of the public life is, I have done what the Father wanted me to do. Now we're going to start then the book of uh, glory, uh, which is the Passion and Resurrection, preceded, as you know, by some discourses of Jesus, where he explains his relationship to the Father and his relationship to us. So we're going to begin now with this um, uh, anointing. So then Jesus, six days before the Passover, you see, went to Bethany. Well, we all know about Bethany. We've heard about it. We just heard about it in chapter 11, right? Uh, It's a little town over the hill of uh, (coughs) itself, Jerusalem. Now, this is the way he describes it. Where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. They made a supper for him there. And now so typical. Huh? Martha was serving. Lazarus was one of those reclining at table with him. And then Mary, taking a, a pound of precious perfume of real knowledge, na- This is very expensive. This could be a year's wages, what she has there in this bottle of perfume, you see. Um, And uh, she anointed the feet of Jesus and um, uh, dried them uh, with her her hair. Now, you can see that John is writing in a way that evokes many scenes There's a scene in Luke, for instance, where another woman, probably another woman, we don't know that, up in uh, Magdala, which is up in the north, right on the sea, the little Sea of Galilee, um, does this. She's a prostitute. She's been touched by the Lord. She comes, you know, and uh, washes his feet with her tears and dries them with her hair. Now in this the other two accounts of the of the anointing are uh, that his head is anointed. In all three Jesus says she has done it for my burial. But in the first two there are overtones as well of an messi- of a messianic anointing, that is in Matthew and Mark, because it's his head that's anointed, that's the king. Uh, so in this one uh, She takes this perfume, you see. Then John makes, as he often does at a spot like this, a remark. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The church was filled with the beauty of this gesture. And it will live on. In Matthew and Mark, uh, you know, it is said, she has done this for my burial, and wherever the gospel is preached, This will be told as a memorial of her. So it's a very significant gesture. And it consecrates with an anointing, messianic and uh, otherwise, uh, of this um, procedure which is going to take place now. Basically, the Passion. All right. Now, as you already know, because the two synoptics also tell us this, Judas, the Iscariot, one of the twelve, he who was going to betray him, said, Why was his perfume not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, because but because he was a thief and having the money box. He took what was put in. You see? And uh, Jesus says, you see, uh, uh, well, you see, and he took, actually the word, he, he, sent, he made off with uh, the money that was put in the money box that the apostles were living by. And so, then, uh, Jesus says, you see, uh, rather sharply, leave her, that she might keep it for the day of my burial For the poor you have always with you, but me you do not always have. And that's an allusion to a text in the book of Deuteronomy about you will always have the poor and take care of them. Still a message to us. But I will not need any more anointing. I will be anointed by the divine life and I will rise from the dead and my whole body will be divinized. But the poor you will always have with you. You see, that ends this first uh, uh, incident. It's amazing that uh, Luke does not tell us, but the other three tell us about this anointing. It's the anointing of an athlete, too, getting ready for the match. It's the anointing of the Messiah. And it's the anointing of service. The poor. See, the house was filled (coughs) the church was filled with the beauty of what this woman had done pouring out her life at his feet and that uh, will resound through the church as the text John's remark that the house was filled is his way indirectly of alluding to what our Lord said in the um, Synoptic Gospels I promise you that uh, what she has done will be told in memory of her as long as the gospel and wherever the gospel is preached. So learning from her what it means to lay down our lives for Jesus and to recognize what he's done for us. Now we come to the next scene. So it's six days before Passover. So the people are gathering already into the city. They're going through their ritual baths, getting ready, and they're chatting. Uh, You know, what do you think? Is he going to come? You know, this dreadful moment, this moment upon which the whole history of the world hangs. And people are chatting. What do you think? Is he going to come? You know, uh, John does this. He's trying to say, usually... Our minds and our lives are inadequate to the reality of what's going on. And so, he begins to say this now, you see. Uh, Now, a great crowd of the Jews learned that he was there. That is, there being uh, uh, the the town, Bethany. Uh, And they came, not only for Jesus, but also that they might see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. John is marvelous about these side remarks, isn't he? You know, here's Jesus, the Messiah, the living, eternal Son of God. They're going out there. Hey, that's the guy. He raised that guy from the dead. You see him over there? You know, like they're equally important. Uh, He doesn't go through all that, uh, but he implies it, you know. They came not only for Jesus, but that they might see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. Then John puts in this incredibly ironic statement. The high priest planned to kill Lazarus as well. Because many, because of him, were leaving the Jews and were believing in Jesus. St. Augustine says, how dumb can you be? If he raised him once, he can raise him again. Killing him isn't going to help your cause at all. But when we oppose the Lord, we get very dumb in our minds you don't believe me, just look outside the window. Look at the chaos of our world. As we've turned our back on God and think we're smarter than God, look at the chaos, the fear, the uh, corruption. And so that's what's going on there, you see. Uh, then we have uh, the next day. You see, that, that whole part there is the uh, Uh, beginning you see uh, of the entrance you see they go out they see him and then uh, you see then we learn about the uh, plan of the leaders to kill Jesus and Lazarus you see now the next day so now there's only five days before Passover you see the great crowd coming to the feast, hearing that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him, and they kept shouting, "Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord," which is, as you all know, uh, from Psalm uh, 118. Huh? Baruch haba. By the way, Baruch haba, uh, b'shem in and the text, but the welcome to this day is Baruch haba. A blessing on the one coming. Somebody walks in your house. Baruch haba. Uh, so this is a welcome, you see. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Indeed, the King of Israel. And so, then Jesus. This is very interesting because it's only in John this way. Jesus uh, finds a donkey. And uh, he sat on it, as it is written. Now, this is very significant, you see. Uh, the text says, uh, as it is written, uh, Fear not, daughter Sion, Behold, your king is coming, Seated on the colt of a donkey. Jesus knew this text. Uh, uh, this is from that text that I just read, is Zechariah nine. Uh, And we'll pick that up after the break.